0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the Constos Convos podcast.
1: Hi, folks. This is Consto from Constos Convos. In today's new episode, we welcome Greg Robertson, who is the Glasgow Celtic under-18s football coach. Chuffed to bits to have him on, so I hope you enjoy our conversation. Greg Robertson, how are you doing, mate? I'm very well, Brian. Thank you very much. And yourself? Yes, uh, all good in the hood. Still, you know, just to let everybody know that we're still under lo- still in lockdown, should they say. How have you guys been keeping?
0: We've been, um, we've been great. Um, my wife and, and two kids were fairly active anyway, Brian, as you know, through the boys playing football. and So it's just trying to continue and, and maybe take advantage of this time that we have off to, to do additional uh, outdoor activities that we, we maybe don't have time to do in the normal hustle and bustle of our, of a regular week so no we're doing well the homeschooling's going okay here at the college of knowledge i'm the headmaster <laughs> here so it's a it's a harder school school of hard knocks here
1: greg's a coach at the world famous celtic football club so i'm sure he's well what's the word i'm looking for well schooled and teaching young kids that they better listen or or else
0: or else you don't get fed here, Brian. That's the that's the that's a rules. You you need to earn your your lunch and dinner in this house. But but no, I'm 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 sure we'll probably come on to you know the this lockdown here and it's been absolutely devastating in terms of the the number of deaths across the country. It's it's um it's absolutely horrendous and and the thoughts go out with everybody who's been touched by it. But um. But but I think there I think there has been positives that have come out, and, and hopefully there's areas in which we can maintain and try and create and sustain a, a healthier and, and better lifestyle for everybody going forwards.
1: Absolutely, mate. And uh, and with your background in coaching, you're probably a wee bit more experienced with dealing with you know young, energetic kids that need to kind of not so much you know stay still and listen, but you know it is hard to kind of keep their attention, like. My middle boy, Jack, you know, he's quite a, an athletic boy as well. And I feel for his teacher's nerves that we can kind of see, like, to get him to sit down, hold his attention to kind of really engage his brain. He's just got a million thoughts going through, and he's just want to jump out. You know, we'll walk in, and he's climbing up on his bunk beds. He's doing gymnastics. He's playing yeah. Up, and you hear the thuds <laughs> in the room. So it, it's it is it's strange times. And even, you know, your, your employers uh, just were awarded the league. They were, yep. And uh, it's—I was lucky to get Greg because Greg is—he's a a bit of an outlier that he doesn't drink alcohol, which is very unusual for this uh, part of the world. And I'm sure there's quite a lot of Celtic fans out there this morning feeling a wee bit rough. I'm very pleased that you're not rough this morning, you know to have this chat because I know a few guys sent me some videos with their party hats on and their scarves on with a few beers last night celebrating themselves which is quite it's quite surreal in that way as well, you know.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they were. I think that um I think any title that you win at, at that level is is a, is an unbelievable achievement and I think what um and I don't think it can be tainted in any way. I don't think they can take away what Celtic have achieved. Nope. The points per game um, table, which which ultimately the the SPFL have have made the final decision on promotion and relegation based on points per games. And Celtic were clear there. And I think that the the momentum that they they managed to to accumulate on the return from the winter break um, after the disappointing defeat against Rangers at Celtic Park just, just after Christmas. I think the run that they went on, I think they were looking formidable. Um, you know, other clubs I don't think could keep up with that with that form. No. And I thought I could only see it continuing. And I think that the points gap that they had there. But it is unprecedented times. And I think it is difficult. Somebody has to make decisions, and not all decisions are going to be, you know, be greeted with open arms. With all parties, you know, there's going to be people are disappointed. Hearts yeah, are relegated. Um, I'm sure Hearts would have believed firmly that they would have got out of relegation. But if you look at the points per game, if you look at the run that they were on, it would have been difficult. They would have had to. They would have had to accumulate I think five, maybe five wins from eight, and, and ex- unexpected favours from other teams. So. Uh, decisions had to be made, and I think it's probably a sensible decision where now clubs can still, there's now not that uncertainty about what's going to happen for the rest of the season, and clubs can now look to try and manage their finances for next yeah. season, however next season is going to look, and that's another that's another question.
1: Well, I agree with you there totally mate, because you know, I've, I obviously you're, you're going to get, rival fans are always going to have banter no matter what, they're always going to do the tip for tat and things, and I think most, even Rangers fans, have I've seen them, you know, post like they'll know deep down that they had lost the challenge of winning the league this year. You know, Celtic's loss against Rangers was probably what Celtic kind of needed sometimes. Cause you can get maybe a, not complacent, but you know, you can take your foot off the gas a wee bit. And I think that was like, you know, we, we need to knuckle down. And I think most Rangers fans knew that they weren't going to win the league uh, a wee bit before this kind of kicked off. And again, big decisions do need to be made and some clubs will be suffering and all, obviously, all the stuff I'm seeing is just about winning the league. and that, but again, it's the the relegation must still be a quite a slow one because, as you know, it can go to go to the wire on things. But it is what it is, and this is the maths don't really lie too much. Um, but it was interesting to see that you know the Germans put on the football the other day behind closed doors.
0: They they, they did, and, and I'll come to it just in a, on in a wee minute. Just on back to the kind of Scottish um, mm-hmm. situation, I think. Um, Something that people speak about a lot is about resilience uh, and, and about resilience when you bounce back from, from a defeat or a setback and, and Celtic had to do that after the, the defeat to Rangers and, and, and all credit to Rangers. Uh, you know, I was at the game, I watched Rangers closely, I thought their game plan was absolutely outstanding. They carried it out to a tee, they nullified Celtic's threats. They were by far the better team and, and, and deserved um, winners on the day. Um, and, and also in the, in the cup final in, in which Celtic were, you know, they... They rode the storm, they at the end of the day you you, you win a cup and, and you play a one off cup tie and, and you play to win and Celtic won that, that trophy and that will that'll always stand. Um but I thought Rangers on the day, being brutally honest, I thought were the better team in the day as well. Um so they did have that bit of belief and bit, bit of momentum um going. But resilience for me is is about how you continually win. And and, and the great teams do that. Winners just find a way of winning when you're winning. And you look at Celtic when they, they bounce back, so there was a bit of resilience there from bouncing back from that defeat. But then it's about winning against Hamilton at home when it's difficult to break down a team that plays, you know, with a low block and and, and very defensively. And then it's winning, you know, away to Hearts at Tynecastle, and it's continually winning. Um, and you said there, you know, that the complacency can can set in, and that's that's human nature. But but that resilience and that drive every single day, you know, if you see Scott Brown at training every single day. Rain, hail, sleet, or snow—it's t-shirt, it's shorts. Keon Tierney was the same when he was there, and it's that, that resilience. Is it is, it is, but it's just. And Scott Brown always says, it just forces them to run about a wee bit more to stay warm, um, you know?" But it's that drive and desire every single day to be a winner, and I think that's. And I think you take all these things into account based on that. Can can argue that the Celtic are Celtic are champions, but on the German the German league, I think. Um, it was great to see some live football. It was very yeah, just, surreal. Just
1: for that occasion, eh?
0: Very surreal. And, and they're, they're, listen, is it to tick boxes in terms of some of the measures that they're putting in place with the social distances on, on the bench, the subs have got the masks on and but the players are running about and they're having body contacts and et cetera. So, listen, there's... there's the, big, the big leagues want to get the leagues finished for for different reasons. There's television deals, there's financial... Revenue for clubs, etc. So there's, there's different methods for different leagues and associations, and I suppose the big leagues can afford to to carry out the 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 blanket testing across the players. Scottish football couldn't cope with that in no, terms of the, the, the cost. I, so
1: England would have maybe have kind of done it just with the the sheer money involved and. I guess it's not quite happened. But again, Greg's a fan of the UFC as well as me. And that was another one that was quite interesting to see, you know, these fights going where, and some of the fights were dynamite. And lots of time you get, you know, a lot of the feedback and the buzz from the crowd and their input. And it's just been really strange not seeing that and how the fighters have kind of reacted to that. It's, I guess just with the cameras on you, it's hard to imagine, you know, the millions of people are watching you rather than just having like, I think it was, they said like 50 skeleton staff now Greg going back to your position as a coach at Celtic right most people will be listening to this will know you know they'll be in Scotland whether they like football or not they'll know the magnitude of a job like that I wouldn't say like winning the lottery obviously because you obviously got there through dedication and hard work and stuff but you have to remember how much this means to so many people like I was even on the Celtic Facebook page the other day they've got like two million likes on their page they're a huge club you know, just through the history and things. And for you to get a position within the club, hats off. You know, you, you must get it all the time. It, it, it must give you so much self-respect, you know, your hard work to finally have got there. I think people would really be interested in knowing what you've done to get there because you weren't a professional football player before, were you? You, you went down a different route?
0: Yeah, the club is massive. It's all oh, right on cue.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, mate. Back
0: then. Um no, I think the club's a massive institution globally. Uh, I've also I've been so fortunate over the, the years, um, I think sixteen odd years working with the club. Uh, I've visited some incredible countries: the Far East, America, uh, all across Europe, um, and 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 just people recognise it's instantly recognisable by the strip. I think first and foremost, the green and white hoops is very iconic. Yeah, um, and I think MD knows anything, anything about football whatsoever. I think they they automatically recognise with Celtic, and then if MD knows anything about the story and the history and the heritage of Celtic, it's it's a love story. It's it's you know I think people get drawn to that um, about you know the purpose and the values of Celtic Football Club, about why they were set up and originally established to to generate money to give out to the poor people of the East End, uh, and to this day very true to their to their charitable roots. Um, through the, the work that the Celtic Charity Foundation do. Um so it's a club that, that that pulls on heartstrings quite a lot and I think people get very emotionally connected to it. And then through its successes and its glory days of the, the first British club to win the Champions League or the, the European Cup is, is as as us all guys know it as, you know, there's there's that kind of romance as well and the nine in a row and and through the years and some of the iconic players who's played the Kennedy Glacier, Jimmy Johnson's, the Henrik Larsons and the modern day greats and put a Scott Brown and James Forrest into that category and any Celtic fan listening out there will we'll probably be shouting right now about James Forrest. He splits the camp <laughs> very much.
1: <laughs> Sorry just to cut in there. Now- I'm Canadian, you know, my mum's Scottish, my dad's Greek and stuff. So when I came over here, I just happened to be taken to a Celtic game as a young boy. I was a baseball guy, loved ice hockey as well, but I loved baseball and used to go to games and things. And that first football game as a 10-year-old boy was such an eye-opener. I've just never seen anything like it before. It was just the passion. It was crazy. It was... It was such a spectacle. It was quick as well. You know, if you go to a baseball game, it can be, it's quite a long, drawn out process yeah. for some, but with the football, it's like balls out, core, colourful languages, a lot of passion in the stands and things. But and a, a thing that I, I like to pull people up on, and because you just said about the, you know, the, the Celtic greats and stuff, is the thing like with England having so much money and all, all the eyes on them now from all over the world that see if Celtic were to play. In the Premiership, you know, they're saying, oh, you went wouldn't do well. We've got our Manchester United and blah, blah. But people, I think, they forget, like, look, who's, who's the top player last season for most people? It was Van Dijk. Where did he yeah. come from? Well, players like uh, Henrik Larsson going on to help Barcelona win the Big Cup as well. I think people forget that we can draw these people to such a small country and r- relatively a small league. You know Rangers are a big club, obviously as well, and you 've got that rivalry which really amplifies things in Scotland. But imagine if Celtic went down to England and had the money look at the players that they would attract I think within a very very short span of time that they would be challenging if not winning the league down there. What do you think of that
0: yeah, I think they i agree I think they would I think what celtic um and I can only really speak for Celtic. I've I've done well over the years. I think they've recruited very well. Uh, they've recruited potential talent with uh, with a real science and education behind the, the the recruitment process. And then they've developed and nurtured that talent well. I think you know you spoke about Virgil Van Dyke there. I think when Virgil came at first, you know Virgil was a physical specimen, but um, but I had yeah, a absolutely. lot of work. I had a lot of work done with him in terms of his defensive positioning, um, you know, just reading the game, where he covers, how he positions himself for crosses, etc. So, so there's a lot of work, hard work done with um with Virgil on the on the grass. And then you see how he's developed into, the, into a world class um player. But I think if, if Celtic were were afforded opportunity to play in the in the Premier League or the Championship or League One and work your way up, I think with a fan with a fan base. Every away ground would be, would be sold out. Celtic would sell out yeah. their allocation every single week, no matter if it was in the south coast or the north-east. Every home game at Celtic Park would be a sell-out. I think it, it, the real problem is it's, it would be Turkeys voting for Christmas, wouldn't it? You know, somebody's just, somebody loses their spot in the English league then, if you bring in Celtic and, and Rangers. So it's it's everybody... Um, Everybody voting for them for themselves and maybe not for the good of the game. And I absolutely agree that Celtic would would compete top six. I look at I look at the Premiership sometimes, and you get your top teams with the top top players, top four, top six, and then you maybe have six to ten who are very very good. And then I think second half of the table it's it's a shootout. I think between yeah, because get money. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and it's just a, it's a spending spree, and that's what I think the difference with Celtic. I think they're far more calculated in their recruitment, and then they have to develop players. They have to develop the ones that they they sign, you know. So mentioned Virgil there, but there's there's also Wanyama, Yama, the Cano, yeah, your Larson's over the over the years. They bring in and and they nurture and develop them, and then mo- and then move them on. And I think that's the model that Celtic have adopted over the last number of years in terms of the recruitment strategy is is buy potential. Um, players who can come in and make an impact in the Scottish League, but with potential um, that are going to have a sell-on value as well, and it's yeah, a and it's been yeah. a good financial model.
1: You had like Ajax are well known for that. You know a very successful team steeped in history as well. that's basically what they do. They had to, they were bringing a lot of South Americans over. Like if you look at there's a long list. Um, uh, just to go back, you know I'm 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 always you know going off in different tangents, but I, I've still we never touched. Enough on your personal story with the club league. Yep. How, did, how, how does that come about?
0: Yeah, um, so I was um, young, uh, aspiring football like every young kid um, is in the, in, in the west of Scotland here, year and kick a ball and you have aspirations of playing professional football for a living. Um, I managed to get to the dizzy heights of Dumbarton Reserves uh, <laughs> and uh, playing it playing in a cold Tuesday night at Boghead um, down in Dumbarton, which you, you wouldn't wish and your worst enemy. Kids nowadays <laughs> would turn their nose up uh, playing on that, that pitch now. They're far too accustomed to playing on these 4G, perfectly flat pitches now. Um, so I think at a, probably a, a, a relatively young age, Brian, I recognised that football was never going to be a career for me in terms of, of um, paying bills and, and making a living out of it. Um, and I always had a always had an interest in, in kind of strategy of the game, formations, and and how the game is coached. And so I, I went along, and I done some coaching qualifications, some basic early coaching qualifications, and and got involved with them um, with the Scottish Football Association kind of partnership program with Glasgow City Council. We go along, and you're doing kind of grassroots community sessions, and and kind of got a bug for it and enjoyed it. And, and a, the big thing for me, and it probably still is. For me, the one of the biggest things about coaching is just the social interactions uh, about how you make people feel and how you engage with people. And I felt it was something that came quite natural to me when I was out and I'm, at the time you're coaching five, six year old kids, and it's not really coaching. You're putting on a session, but it's how you Maybe engage with them and how, how anyway, yeah, yeah, how you engage and how you interact and you're you're teaching kind of motor skills and you're trying to give them some fundamentals of the of the, of the game. So I enjoyed that, and then from there. Um, kind of and go through different coaching qualifications and start getting a little bit more responsibility. And and then a colleague that I worked with at the Scottish Football Association got a, um, got a job at Celtic probably late 2002 um, to set up a, a grassroots community programme for Celtic. They, they didn't have one at the time. They were probably one of the first clubs here in Scotland to to set something uh, of, of the like up um, and invited me to, to put on a CV and an application for a couple of posts that were coming up and Successful enough, got into post there and and the, the probably the biggest the biggest um, thing I, that, that I got from from that role when I started in, in late December two thousand three is that was I was blessed to, to share an office with the late great Tommy Burns. Wow. Um, to, Tommy at the time was the head of the head of the youth academy, um, and and was also kind of dipping in and out and helping first team here and there under the the management of, of Martin O'Neill. So, it's, I'd been in, in, in an office, and my role at the time was just organising grassroots community coaching sessions. Going out, taking some sessions, um, kind of being an administrator for that program, organising the coaches, trying to upskill the coaches, and make DBs his afternoon cup of tea, uh, and just try and get some words do, of wisdom from it? Them. He how did he? Uh, he was a black tea man. He was a black tea. But he, he was always he was always on a run, so he had cups of tea dotted about all over the stadium. But for me, that, that experience Tommy at that kind of time also Tommy invited me into coaching a youth academy. So I was I was working full time, kind of managing the Celtic grassroots coaching program, but also working um, and then starting really get my teeth involved to coaching at a, an elite level with young kind of under eleven, under twelve age group. Yeah, um, and working under the the kind of mentorship of uh, Tommy and what Tommy Tommy taught so much about football and coaching and the detail of it, but probably the the the, the biggest thing was was just about humanistic skills about how you how you behave, how you behave, how you act, how you interact with people, your kind of moral um and social responsibility of being a Celtic employee, what that means um, to people And you said just there about the celebrations of Celtic winning a league all around the globe yesterday. And that's what it means to so many people. So Tommy was was instilling, you know, values and principles um every single day. And I think everybody knows Tommy's big um spiritual and religious beliefs and that's how he conducted himself every single day. It was he had time for everybody. He, he just had a smile on his face every single day, and um, I think it was just till the end of last week. Actually, was his I think his twelfth anniversary of his of his sad passing. And I still keep in regular contact with his son Jonathan Burns, who's down in um, uh, down in Florida now. And he's a he's a cardboard, a cardboard cutout of his dad. He's got the same mannerisms and the same <laughs> the same one liners uh, as his old man, and an absolutely he's, he's a. I Do a wee bit of work here and there with with, with Jonathan down there in Florida, um, and it's an absolute pleasure to call a, f- a friend. So I, I suppose from there at Celtic, I just uh, I just got my head down, walked away, going through more coaching qualifications, trying to you know observe as many other sessions as possible and upskill myself. And fortunate, just I worked my way up through the age groups, and I suppose until today, um I, I, I work with her under eighteen full time professional players um and have done probably for maybe for the last three seasons. Um so it's been a great journey itself a great education, been afforded great opportunities to travel the globe with the club and compete in competitions and, and, and do some you know, ambassador roles for the club out in, in certain projects. So it's been it's been fantastic uh, and it's been sixteen years it has been it's flown by.
1: Living the dream. Well, it's funny you're talking about Tommy Now That's a player, obviously, it was highlighted because his death um, anniversary there. And it was about how he actually touched the lives of people that didn't even just support Celtic, you know, supporters of Rangers as well, which is traditionally that a lot of, uh, shall we say, strained relationships. But again, he was just a man that, you one of these guys you just couldn't help but respect. And to be fair, Greg, you know, I've seen you, shake your shit if you if you like um where you've coached like our boys play for the same football team and uh, we've been fortunate to have your input and have you taking some training sessions and what you says is you've got a real good way with people as well like i don't know if you, you can't see greg because this is a uh, an audio podcast but
0: greg oh,
1: looks, he looks quite he looks as if he'd be quite tasty in the fight you know what i mean he's getting <laughs> he's, got, he's got the crew, you know, the short hair, he's got the beard, his nose looks as if he's been in a boxing ring son. or something, right? So, a couple of runner up prizes. But he is a very approachable, friendly guy with the kids, you know. It was really good seeing how you interacted with them and done stuff. There was a lot of respect shown, but it was very high tempo, it was very free flowing, you know. The kids were really into it, and it's funny when you see young kids when they start focusing and enjoying something, it's, it is special because more often than not, the, the the mind strays, focus can't be put in the direction it should be and you know it's great to see that and it's funny you saying that I didn't know that about Tommy Burns with you but I can see similarities because you are a very thoughtful guy and you you're not as quick to say things and you're quite a respectful guy and again I guess that it shows me it's funny you saying that it says it definitely shows because I always says like a uh, I remember Maloney was playing football, and he was, he was playing really great football before he left, and I always says, like, I could see, you know, flashes of Larson in him, but he was mentored by Larson. It's funny how you just, you get, you meet certain people in your lives, and if you're fortunate enough, you know, to meet these special people that they rub off on you, and I can definitely see that. So, that's yeah, great. absolutely.
0: I I, yeah, I would I'd probably say, he had, you know, he had a, 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 you know, a big influence on me and, as a coach and a, and as a person, I think the perception of Tommy is, you know, I think a lot of the things you see Tommy. He's laughing, he's joking, and he, and he absolutely was that. He, he would never never miss an opportunity for a for a windup or a prank, or um, he just, he, you know, he lived life to the full. He enjoyed it, but um, make no mistake, if Tommy was annoyed, he would he would let you know. He had a he had a you know a, a ruthless side to him as well. You know, these top people don't get to where they are. No, absolutely not. From from being a joker in the, in the pack. So I think what Tommy done is he commanded respect um, and I think he set out the boundaries and, you know, what you're, that's nice words, you know, what you're saying about, you know, down coaching the kids and I think you need to do that. You set you set the boundaries, you set the parameters, everybody's here to work hard, everybody's here to learn, everybody's here to enjoy and have fun. Sometimes I think coaches now, I think they forget that, that it's a game. You're here to enjoy yourself. Um, it is I think you're enjoying yourself. You're learning, and developing at a, at a greater rate. But I think when men people step out those boundaries, if you're not working hard, if you're not behaving, you know, then then you're you're being disruptive to yourself and the and the rest of the group, and and that then needs to be addressed. And and generally, just nip it in the bud very quickly a short, sharp, abrupt statement or comment <laughs> or call out. Then it's done, and you move on, and and don't bear grudges. And so I think um I think Tommy was great for that. But I think mentoring is I mentored something. That I had done a, a master's degree a couple of years ago and part of the degree was, or one of the modules was a, a, an independent report. Uh, and, a, and I was very fortunate at the time I'd done it and I studied Brendan Rogers and, and his coaching behaviours and, and what he said. So it wasn't what he coached, it was, it was how he coached. And there was a checklist of maybe 10 points. And I stood there with my little clipboard. Wet behind the ear, all eager, watching Brendan um, doing his stuff on the pitch and, and making li- little tally marks. And after s- six or eight sessions, I compiled my data and I went in and I presented it to Brendan. And he was, he was genuinely interested in the feedback and, and what I'd found in terms of how he coached the, the group of real top elite players. And through conversation that we had, he we had a conversation about how coaches develop I think coaches go on formal coach education courses. You get your qualification or your license. You go out, you then coach, you practice, but you then never really have anybody who tells you if it's good, bad or indifferent. You're out there and you're working and you may think it's the best thing ever and and it's maybe not appropriate for the age and stage that you're working with. So I think that the the conversation we had was was around mentors and mentorship. And I think that's probably the, the kind of missing cog in, in the wheel certainly here in Scotland and coach education I think if there was a, a mentorship program put in place for young coaches where they had an experienced coach who observed them every once a, once a month and and mm-hmm. watched them and and there was somebody that was maybe at the end of a phone or an email or a whatsapp or a, a tiktok nowadays um, that they can bounce ideas off of and, and just share some ideas and get a little bit of guidance so I think that's and something that I spoke to uh, some friends I've got at the Scottish FA recently as well, and something they're certainly looking into. And, and I think that that's widely recognised. I think that that, that mentum is an area which can really help and aid the develop of the development of of young coaches here in the country. And I have probably classify. I don't know if I still classify myself as a young coach. No, thinking? mate,
1: you can. I'm sorry. Uh, nah. veteran. Uh, seasoned. Seasoned.
0: seasoned. Nice oh, well, I'm right, with that. Okay.
1: It's just funny you're saying. I think that's just life in general, mate. You're just having somebody to mentor. And it, sometimes you're lucky to draw with who you learn your trade with, you know. And Yep, yep. You know, just like somebody like me, you know, obviously I had my dad. But when I moved here, you know, my family split up. And I probably looked and I was lucky to have, you know, I remember initially I had my cousin that used to take me to games, and I had my uncle that used to take us. Uh, God they used to take us to ice hockey down in Paisley, and swimming, and just make sure we were doing stuff as boys. Because as much as my mum loved and cared for us, there's only so much that a woman can teach a man about being a man. And I guess it's just a lucky draw, I guess, mate. And yep, it's, yep. it's probably just life and culture and. Things in general that some people haven't got positive role, mo- uh, pardon me, role models to, to aspire to and work alongside with. So I, that definitely makes sense, mate. It really does. I, I meant to say to you, mate, I've still got your season ticket.
0: <laughs> All right, okay.
1: <laughs> because uh, it was funny. I was talking to Jack. Like Greg was very kind. Well, Greg's wife, Tony, was very kind to give us. Uh, a we short of your ticket? I'll tell
0: you something. Sorry for interrupting, Brian. there's uh-huh. there's, a, there's a sentence you don't hear very often. What's that? Greg's wife was very kind. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
1: don't you start. She's a lovely woman. Uh, she she gave us the tickets um, to go to the game, and it was funny because we were going there, and you know we're getting a bit of banter between me and the boy walking to the stadium and stuff. He's he's getting a million and one one question, so goes to what do you think the score will be today, Jack? And he's like, five 0 Obviously, the game was five 0 and he says, Dad, I think we're going to see a penalty as well. I'm like, geez, oh, and I says, to, I thought to myself, and I'm like. I'm so fortunate that I'm not a guy who gambles too much because I think if I put that bet on for him, he would have been a compulsive gambler for the rest of his life.
0: Well, You know you get him to send me up the lottery numbers for this week.
1: <laughs> oh, it was just funny. and what, what a game. It was It, it was even funny because we sat down and, you know, you're looking about and you're observing because it's a, it's a spectacle, isn't it? And
0: Absolutely, yeah. We ended up
1: bumping into one of my father-in-law's good friends and, you know, he's up talking and I was just like, That's, it was such a good fuel about the place it's funny i always tell people like humans were so capable so much but when we come together we're capable of things that you can't even fathom and i read a really good book about that you know and that's how we humans you know homo sapiens actually became the the apex predator because we can group together so i think things like celtic people and i get that way too you know you see people crying when we lose and stuff and you think oh he's a bit sad and stuff but see when something becomes that powerful in your life it really does get a hold of you. For me, as now I love watching my boy play, that's where I'm getting new emotions. I feel like crying and screaming every week on the sidelines.
0: Yeah, it's it's, um, no, it's great. And, and I, as a coach, you know, I, I enjoy, it. it's a bit of uh, escapism for me, from the the How do you the, turn off of frantic what? schedule. How do I, you I, I, turn I, off I, rather
1: than going, right guys, come here, I'm gonna maybe give you some tactics for the second half. <laughs>
0: No, I generally I find it quite easy. I just I I just enjoy watching, enjoy watching all the boys. I must admit, you know, and we've obviously we've had um, a few years of the boys together now, and yep. um, a trip down to Blackpool, um, which was which was eventful, and <laughs> it's just been good to see the all the boys develop. And I just think at that age and stage of their development is is about enjoyment and freedom, and let them go and explore and. And just giving them a little bit of structure and guidance, and, and loads and loads of encouragement, you know, and, and encouraging and praising little successes as as they go along the way. And they're all at different levels of their journey. And so I, I really enjoy getting along and watching the watching the young lads playing. And and, I, and you know, I've been involved in some taking after takes some coaching sessions. I was involved in the sideline, and whilst I'll always do it to help out. I, I much prefer being a being a dad. Just I would find it very difficult to to coach my own boy on a weekly basis. I would find it very difficult. I wouldn't think it would be fair on either of us to be perfectly honest. I think he needs his own space as well. And yeah. Um yeah, I don't think it would be difficult times as much as you would try to park things at training if you had a bit of a falling out and you come home and it festers into the the father-son relationship at home so that's what I, I just love the the purity of it of it's just of his dad and I'm just at the side and watching and just enjoying watching them all and and, and all their journeys and I must admit they're coming along a ton Um all what the boys do down there and they've got a good environment they've got a good environment in the main that they can just go and, and, and play and as I say I don't mind doing the odds coaching session here and there when I can make it and I it's enjoy. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. It's a different type of coaching. It's a different type of experience for me, and takes me back. uh takes me back. A wee story. I was when I started moving up that taking I was maybe taking under 15s or something. And I think I was asked by somebody at the club to to go back and take a grassroots community program. And I was in having a cup of tea at my mum's, and I must have been having a wee bit of a whinge about it, and and my mum gave me an absolute <laughs> mouthful. She was like, don't you ever forget where you came from. You were That was you. You were coaching those kids and that's how you have progressed. And you go and coach them as, as well as you can. And it kind of stuck with me. I thought, you know what, it's, when you're out there and you're coaching or you're working in any industry, it's important you do you do the same job at the same level, um, no matter who you're working with and who's watching. And it's something we always say to our young players about spotlight players. I guarantee if, if Neil Lennon or... John Kennedy was to come down and watch her training sessions that the, the levels would go up a notch, but but they have to be the level, they have to be the norm, they have to be the levels and, and don't be the spotlight player or you're in the gym and the, the athletic development coaches are standing over you and you're doing pull-ups and as soon as he turns his back then you're... You're taking a bit of a breather, so it's mm-hmm. it's about levels and standards, and we've been working hard on that. Just about reevaluating and realigning our core principles and our values, and I think that really underpins everything uh, moving forward. Before you even start speaking about tactics and formations, so it's yeah, my have old mum been... gave me a blast. Well, you deserved it, mate. I and probably did.
1: Your mum's mom, there to keep you in line. Absolutely. So, um, have you been watching the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls thing on Netflix just now?
0: Uh, I have been. I've watched three, and I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. But I was probably a little bit late to the party, um, and a load of folk that I knew were watching it um, and speaking too many about spoilers, it. Spoilers? Was it not too many spoilers? But I've just I've just enjoyed it. But I, I was expecting to be blown away by something, and I don't know what.
1: Do you know? what I'm but, blown away with by by it is like obviously. I again, I'm a wee bit taller than most of my peers and you know even at the local high school here we used to we had a uh, basketball maybe for about quarter of the school term or something so it was usually me and one of the, the other tall boys that would pick the teams like the two boys two tall ones you go pick and I quite like basketball I used to play when I was younger there was always a hoop at the school by no means a good player but I was a uh, probably say much better than your average Scottish boy at playing basketball so I I kind of always had a wee affinity with it but watching that is like Michael Jordan is I don't think I've ever seen such a fierce competitor everything that he has to win from playing chipsy in the you know the changing rooms to you know training one-on-one even though he's retired guys are challenging him and he needs to beat everybody I actually remember reading years ago that he used to play golf and he's a very handy golfer yeah he used to play with Tiger Woods and like he's gambling and his his flaw for a lot of people you know this overly competitive and is what made him so great and it's just the self-belief that this man had was amazing granted he was quite a, a tall guy but he's playing with much bigger stronger men and the stuff he done was like it was almost like fairy tale stuff you couldn't write the finishes and stuff you know like the three point yeah. shots with seconds left and I just thought like Anytime I, th- I see any sports stuff, I'm always like, Does Greg watch this? Is he getting in there? Is he dissecting this? You know?
0: Aye, no, I love the I love the sports documentaries, and I've watched quite a lot during during this time. Um, I watched the Man City one on Amazon, and I, I watched the Leeds documentary. Uh, I then actually went on to do a little study on Leeds United and Marcello Bielsa and his coaching methods, and put together a a bit of a report on that, and it was it was interesting. But the 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 last answers the last dance is good. Don't get me wrong. Michael Jordan, absolutely superhuman. Um, we watched the episode last night. It was more focused on Dennis Rodman and his very colourful character. Um, well, he's definitely there right But but the qualities and, and again the qualities you need different people to to make a successful team. You you need the I'm not saying Dennis Rodman was, but you need water carriers. You need you know you need support act. Um, yeah. to, to to the main show and people need to recognise that as well. And sometimes I think when you get somebody whose uh, who's job is to be the support act to the main show and he wants to be the the main show, that's you know the clashes of personalities and don't work. But um, just, being, just
1: to, to cut off, it's like I was talking to I think it was maybe my brother about the, there's all these great players that we speak of, right? So you've got a guy like Michael Jordan. Not many people talk about Scottie Pippen. It comes to Wayne Gretzky, ice hockey. Nobody really yeah. talks about Mark Messier. Uh, even when I grew up, Henrik Larson was my Michael Jordan. He was doing these amazing things under pressure on the, on the big games. Obviously, he's, he's spoken to her more of his controversial comments, but like Chris Sutton was like his guy. So I, I don't think like all these players are always the standard. I think there's a lot of unsung heroes that kind of compliment you and you allow you to do your thing. The only one yeah. I couldn't really think is maybe Maradona seemed to kind of do it all himself, probably, I think. But most guys kind of had the, the, the wingman, if you like.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a the you probably look at all of the great teams and all of the great teams will have the you know, the Star Act and, yeah, and then the avoid. support yeah, and then the supporting ones who who allow them to do it. But they they probably have an appreciation and an acceptance of their role within the team. I actually watched the Maradona in Mexico documentary as well. I don't know if you've seen that one. That's a,
1: I've missed quite a lot. I've been hearing a lot of good a, things.
0: Uh, that's an enjoyable. That's an enjoyable. That's um, it's, it's just a lighthearted. It's a lighthearted one. But I've been reading the just on the on the kind of topic of the Bulls. I've been reading currently the Phil Jackson Eleven Rings book um, just now, and Phil Jackson and his coaching um, journey, which I quite enjoy um, reading about. Coaches from different sports and trying to adopt similar principles are we were fortunate enough a couple of weeks ago on a on a what call we had. Uh, Gregor Townsend, the the Scottish Rugby National Team Coach, come on and do a and do a presentation for us, um, and just speaking about um, his role when he came into Scotland and how they stripped everything back and look at principles and values and and similar to the similar to like, like the Last Dance where they they kind of tagged the, they gave the the season a name and a and a purpose and. And something to drive towards is the Scottish rugby team. They had a they in turn had a, a chat with him um, Taylor, the boxer. Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor came and spoke to the Scottish rugby team and, and one of his kind of mantras was he tells himself he just bites down on the mouth guard when when times are getting tough and he has to just hang in there and that's his little signal to himself, just bite down. And it's something then that that, that Gregor Townsend and the Scottish rugby guys have adopted that but it's it's just a little phrase it's just something but it's something that, that means something to them um, across a the group and the, they might just be backs against the walls and they might be in defending for long periods of the game but just bite down on the gum shield and it's about that bit of grit and determination um, and, and see, that, see that see that phase out yeah and, and 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 I think when you I think if you just get quite insular in, in your own sport and just look at people within their own sport you know you can be you can be neglecting quite a lot of absolutely unbelievable stuff out there so I try and read and and listen to a lot of coaches from different sports as much as possible and try and take some of their their philosophies and and values and principles and and adopt them into football.
1: Oh, that does work. I remember we had another boy who used to play for uh, our son's football team and he was a goalkeeper. And his dad was actually, I think, he he, he definitely went to the Olympics, but I also think he won uh, a medal. I spoke with him in depth about things and his belief was, like, if to become a good football player, he says that you should maybe do other sports as well and develop your mobility. He believed, like, you know, skateboarding, doing martial arts and stuff. And that really struck home with me. And funnily enough, it was another dad that got me down to the boxing with my boys. And Jack has I, I, really came on with doing stuff like that you know even with confidence and fitness and things and sometimes maybe we're just too involved with the one thing I think having that extra stuff gives you a bit of something else because I again I don't know if this is true but looking at Henrik Larson right he used to celebrate with his tongue which yep. obviously Michael Jordan used to do with the slam dunks and he also yep. named his boy Jordan so I'm like I think he, Henry, yeah, yeah. a bit of a michael jordan fan and i think sometimes that's maybe what it gives you that extra bit of flavor to kind of separate yourself and to touch back on what you says about josh taylor bite down in your gum shield and crack on there's another good guy a uh, called david goggins who's like a endurance athlete and he says see when you think you're finished when you're done you know and you're finished and you can't push any further he says you've still got another 40 percent left in you and yeah. if you Look at guys like Alex Ferguson when he was successful at his team. He instilled that in his players. Like, how many games did they win in the final minutes of the game? You know, injury time or leading up to that, because he says that's when people are taking the foot off the gas. That's when you need to push on and separate yourself and seize that opportunity. So that is interesting that you said that there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think uh, I read the. Uh... I read a bit from Rene Mullenstein, who was the one of the first team coaches at Manchester United um, during Sir Alex Ferguson's time. Um, I think Rene Mullenstein was maybe kind of late 90s, early 2000s. Um, I think he was brought in initially as an individual technical coach uh, and then developed more into to being a, one of um, Sir Alex Ferguson's right hand men. But he, he spoke about setting up game situations where they would play 11 v 11 one team would be two one down or one 0 down, and they and they had five minutes on the clock, and it was and it was about training as much as it was about training the tactics and the and the physical side. It was training the mental aspect of the game. So I think you look at quite a lot about you see games nowadays, and or or whenever you see games where, where a team's one 0 down, and they go away from the principles, they they go away from their game plan. They then start going really direct, and they put the big centre back up front. And they play for second balls, and it's something that they've never trained, that they've never practiced. Whereas mm-hmm. Manchester United played; they would play these games at the end of training or at end training. It would be five minutes, and in those five minutes, if you keep playing the way that you always play, you'll create one, two big chances mm-hmm. a, in a game. And it was about that belief instilling that belief in the players that our game plan is designed in such a way it's offensive, it's attacking. Manchester United ninety four four two, and they. they some fantastic players and great teams over the years but they they would always score late as you said there and I think it was about just almost training that mentality that if they keep playing in the same style and the same fashion that then they will with the players that they have the opposition will be deeper and deeper holding on and, and they'll create and score so that was I think a lot of teams will just revert back to, to more panic and
1: that's what you say, panicking is the best.
0: It's panicking, yeah, and it's not controlled, then. So you're not controlling really what you're doing. It's more, you're more living in hope in that aspect. But what you are saying there about you know, kids doing different sports, I'm, a big, I'm you know, a big believer, you'll know that yourself, big believer that you know my own son, he absolutely f- he loves football, he's football daft, but uh, when he was younger, he went to gymnastics and he grew out that a little bit and he's not a great dealer number of boys he was he was he was decent at it um so socially didn't enjoy it fantastically because of, he didn't have many uh, male friends uh, at the club and it's difficult to force kids to do something But I'm, I'm not a big believer of that they have to want to do it as well or there's going a part of them that wants to do it and sometimes you need to just give them that little jag but he goes athletics as well and we have, I've, I've noticed his athletics is is helping his football you know, so there's, oh, there's, there's secondary skills there that you learn, but I think the big thing is it's about social circles and and social friends. I think if you all you do is play football with your football team four or five nights a week, and you've got 12, 13 pals, and that's all you've got, and your social circle of friends becomes very, very small and one dimensional. You just not yeah.
1: that extra bit that you maybe need, like uh, Greg's was touching on there, like his. I I seen a massive difference with him. You know, after he started the athletics, you know, the running, I'm like, geez, oh, like, where's he quite that bust of pace? And it really helped his game. And then obviously I seen that and Jack was starting to go again. And it was pretty, pretty instant, you know, like after even like a couple of weeks, you're like, he's got that, you know, a bit about him when he's running up the wing and it's all these things like that come together to make you a a better product, I think.
0: And it's great that
1: they enjoy it and do something different and, and you just say mix with other people and. Get out with that bubble that you can find yourself in.
0: Yeah, and it's a, it's a different type of coaching. It's a different type of instruction that they get at the running um, as well. I think footballs. I think one of the flaws in youth football could be there's not a great deal of decision making left to the players. Uh, you know, we we will stand at the side of the park and watch our, our boys play, and not so much in in, in our own team, but opposition coaches will just be joysticking the players and you know pass, shoot, dribble, tackle just trying to solve all the problems. Um, I think the I think it was the Icelandic FA uh, a number of years ago had a slogan, I think it said, don't shout at the kid on the ball, he's busy. Um, which <laughs> I just thought was brilliant. You know, it's, and again, I think if you'd really drill into a lot of these coaches, they, they get so hung up and frantic just because they want to win a game at 10 past nine on a Sunday morning with two men and their dogs standing watching. Um
1: Ah, there's a lot of undue pressure, you know, from people who, and I guess we all do it too, is you're kind of living through your kids as well and you're kind of what you've learned and you want to instill it. But again, it's a it's a hard thing hard thing to do, especially when you're so emotionally involved. Greg, we're kind of approaching my cut-off time, but there's something no I didn't ask you and I yep. hope you can answer. And it's just maybe if, I would guess... This is from a, a fan's point of view. You've never been there for 16 years, so you've obviously seen some really good players, you know, pass through the, the different teams and different stages. And is there any is there any players that you can kind of see creeping through? Well, hopefully, when we get started back, you know, we're going to start popping up. Is there any? Any players that we should keep a wee eye out for?
0: Do you think? Um, yeah, there's a few in the in the reserve team just now um, who are touching um, the first team. Scott Robertson uh, is a young kid who. Any relation? Uh, no relation. <laughs> no relation. Uh, I've not met a, ba- a bad Robertson in my life, mind you. So he's <laughs> he's a good lad. Um no, he made his he made his debut for the first team last year away in the Europa League, and it was just probably as uh, experienced and. Cultured debut as I've ever seen. He, the way he received the ball and passed the ball, he, was, he looked like a he looked like a season pro. So he's he's a young central midfield player. He can play he can play as maybe a more traditional number ten in a four two three one, or he can play as an eight in a four three three. Good lad, um, and, and I think possibly feature. There's another central midfielder, Kerr McEnroy, um, another one who's came all the way through the academy. Uh, he's a fife lad um and he, he had a terrible injury uh, last season which kept him out for most of the season but returned towards the the, the end, when I say the end of the season, I mean prior to the, this this lockdown. He returned to to, to full match uh, match play um and was up back in around training with the first team. <clears throat> and there's obviously Karamoko Dembele, who every man and their granny knows about. He played that same European game as, as Scott Robertson. Obviously, made his debut against Hearts in the league, um, and and obviously the club have got high hopes for for Karamoko. and then and then underneath that there's a few there's a few others. There's an American kid, Cameron Harper, who is a wide player, um, electric pace. An, an American pace. kid. An American kid. Yep. How does that yeah. happen? is he Californ- from California to Drumchapel? There's there's no there's no difference here whatsoever. These actually you bring them over to. No, his family's his family's originally from Glasgow. They're from Drumchapel, um, Glasgow, and they moved. His mum and dad moved to California for work, however many years ago. Oh, lucky Cameron, that. Cameron was to uh, well. And he'd Cameron, come back again, and to come back, I you know you're like it's a, you win the lottery and then you lose the ticket. Um, <laughs> so he um. He was born and raised in California and then the club were made aware of him. We brought him over in trial, played a few games, came back over a few times, we signed him and now he now stays with a relative in Drumchapel. Uh, he's, um, he trains with the first uh, the first team on, on occasions. He's a reserve team player. Uh, he's one that would get Celtic fans up and off their seat. Uh, he's just got blistering pace. He can go past people and score the goal. So, yeah, Stephen Welsh, re- reserve team player, made his first team debut against Hamilton away last season, academy product. So, um, there's a few there's a good pipeline of players to hopefully keep Celtic fans uh, excited for a few years. You like
1: a proud dad with all these boys coming through, anyway. <laughs> Those yeah,
0: boys well, that's success for you. That's success for me. It's, success is no it's no winning a game on a Friday night or it's not winning a an under 18 league or the the Scottish Youth Cup. Success is is putting players uh, onto the first team pitch. Um, and you look at Callum McGregor, Kieran Tierney, James Forrest James Forrest arguably is going to end up the, the most decorated Celtic football player in history uh, and came all the way through the club's academy so an absolute um, poster boy for the academy um, and one as a winger you're either hot or cold and the fans and the fans yeah, it's um, a difficult are a yeah.
1: yeah yeah I've seen him uh, obviously I've, I've photographed a few games in my time and he it's it's great watching these guys up close you know and just the, the trickery and you, you, people forget like these guys like He's quite a sturdy wee guy, but he is, yep. get a, They get a hard time as well, and I think people don't really appreciate. There's certain positions you can play that I say are less forgiving than, than others. But um, Greg, mate, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. I really appreciate it. And Absolute pleasure. Such a mate. humble guy, mate. And for a guy in your position, I would actually allow you to be a bit of a dick. You know, let you get away with it because it says not many people can control themselves in a wee bit of, they get a wee bit of power or certain positions in life, mate. But you're definitely a gem, mate. And I really, really do appreciate this.
0: Thank you very much.
1: You're welcome, mate. And I hope I uh, get to see you guys soon because I'm missing you, I must say.
0: I know, when you get back to the sidelines and shout at our kids and do everything I'm the opposite start, of what we've just said
1: to you. I'm going to start recording Greg and Violet. Remember, he said all oh, this, you don't know what happened. This is the real
0: <laughs>
1: Greg. Listen, mate, take care and hope An you An absolute see pleasure, you mate. Okay.
0: Good luck, mate. Stay safe. Thank you. Take it easy. Bye bye.